I remember, I remember it very clearly. Standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, picking these rocks up off the shore and holding them in my hand and thinking, I wonder what it would have been like to be in this place, just outside Capernaum, when James and John, Peter and Andrew were in their boats and Jesus came walking by and said, hey, see those boats? See that fish? Come follow me and I'll teach you to fish for men. I I remember kneeling down and just taking in the Sea of Galilee and looking at these rocks and understanding that they were probably there on the shore when Jesus did that and thinking, what would I have done in that moment? How would I have responded when Jesus said, leave everything and follow me? What's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It seems so much clearer now because we can read scripture, right? We can read the story of Jesus. We know how it all plays out. But for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, for Matthew, for Philip and Nathaniel, for Nicodemus and the rich young ruler, becoming a disciple of Jesus was a really big deal. At that point that day, It had been 43 years roughly since I had for the first time said, I want Jesus to come in and take complete control of my life. I want to give my life to him. It had been 43 years. And yet I struggled and I still struggle with the idea of what it looks like and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe maybe you do too. Maybe you ask, how can I be a disciple of Jesus and parent a teenager? How how can I be a disciple of Jesus? What's it look like to be a disciple of Jesus and to walk into marriage, to lives fused together? What's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and have someone that I love and care about come and say, you know, I don't think I'm the right gender. And I'm taking some steps to change that. What's it mean to be a disciple and to look down at your checkbook and think, here are my bills and here's my income. There is no way I can ever pay off those bills. What's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and to get the call from the doctor that says, you know what, your life is going to be different from this moment on. What's it mean to be a disciple and be unceremoniously issued out the door at work or in a friendship or at home? What's it mean to be a disciple? That's a core question for us as followers of Jesus. For the last five years at North Point, we've said that uh, our church leaders have said that our mission is to help all people move to a life fully devoted to Jesus to help all people move to a life fully devoted to Jesus. In a word, that's discipleship, right? But what's it look like? How do we do that? How do we define it? 
Today and next week, we're going to take a fresh look at that and just try and unpack that some to give us some practical hooks that we can put into our lives for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And then we're going to spend some weeks this fall looking at a letter that Jesus' younger brother wrote to the church in the first century to say, this is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus in lots and lots of areas. I think that you're going to be incredibly surprised at how relevant his letter is that was, that was written 2,000 years ago to, to where we are today. If you've got your Bibles, take them out or uh, open the North Point app and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 4. I want us to look at two moments in Jesus' life as we think about this idea of discipleship. Matthew 4, uh, beginning in verse 18, is the first of those two moments. It happens early in Jesus' ministry. And, it, and it's what we saw on screen just a second ago, what we saw described, written out. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The second moment that I want us to look at happens a couple of years later. It's described in Matthew chapter 16, so you can flip a little bit later in, uh, in that same book. The disciples have recognized that Jesus really is the Messiah. They've said, you know what? You are the Son of God. And Jesus said, you're right. Here's the deal. I'm going to have to suffer and die. And in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the entire world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Hear those words of Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple. I don't think the 12 guys that Jesus, um, that Jesus chose ever asked the question, what's a disciple? What's it mean to be a disciple? Because they were living it out, right? Jesus had said, come, follow me, and they, and they followed him. I want to paint a picture for us today, though, a, a kind of a working definition that describes the disciples' relationship with Jesus and our relationship with him if we want to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who is changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. Let me say that again. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. Would you say that with me one time? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, someone who's changed by Jesus, and someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus. It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, commit to the mission of Jesus. But it gets messy because somehow we've allowed ourselves to believe that being a disciple is somehow about knowledge. How much scripture I know, I know. Or, or maybe we think that it's about spiritual disciplines, whether I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to, to get away and to pray and to study, or whether or not 
We can pray out loud in front of a group. Or, or maybe we think that, that it's about what movies we watch or how many people we've led to Jesus or whether or not we listen to Christian radio. It gets messy because discipleship is not about knowledge. It's not about geography. It's not about culture. It's not about a reputation. It's not about becoming just like me as your pastor or your life group leader or the person whose blog you read or the, or the person whose podcast that you watch. It's about being in relationship with Jesus, following him, being changed by him, and being engaged in his mission. Relationships are the stuff of life, right? God made us for relationships. That's why it's so exciting to find someone that you could spend the rest of your life with and, and, and get married. That's why it's so exciting when, when a child is born and, and you have this new relationship and you begin to see this child grow and experience all kinds of stuff. Why that same relationship uh, just grows and, and, and brings such fulfillment as, they, as that child becomes an adult and they begin to be your friend and the, the relationship changes. God made us for relationships. We were made to be in relationships with other people and with him. That's why being in a group, as we talk about discipleship, is so critical to your spiritual health. We need to to be connected with each other as we pursue following Jesus. As uh, As we try and get an understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If you're not in a life group, hear me clearly today, get in one. There's a display out in the, in the atrium. Get in a group. If you're in a life group and you're dreading going to your group, find a new one, all right? That, that God, God's not beating you up by putting you in a group. Find a new group. If you, you need to be in, in a group, if your group has taken a break for the summer, this week is the week to start again so that you can digest this message so that you can go through the sermon-based questions and wrestle with idea of, this idea of what it means to be a disciple, somebody who follows Jesus, somebody who's in relationship with Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Do you understand that to follow means you follow, right? That you don't lead, but you follow. You follow him. The disciples um, never said to Jesus, uh, you know, I, I don't think that they ever woke up and said, you know, Jesus is going to Caesarea Philippi today. Do we go? Do we not go? You know, the lions are on TV. Uh, I'm thinking maybe, maybe I can get up after the... They followed Jesus wherever he went. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem and, I, and I'm going to die. And the disciples followed him to Jerusalem. Following Jesus means saying yes, wherever and whenever. And that means that Jesus is going to take you places that you never would have gone otherwise. I grew up in a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, that's real similar to DeWitt. Um, It it was uh, racially the same, socioeconomically kind of the same. Um, It was a safe place. I never really had to worry about a whole lot. And I went to to Bible college in Cincinnati. And while I was at Bible college, I worked the last couple of years at Central Parkway YMCA. If you know Cincinnati, you know that Central Parkway YMCA is kind of on the western edge of downtown. And it's not far from an area called the Over the Rhine District. 
Um, if, you, if you've ever heard about Cincinnati, you know kind of where Over the Rhine is. It's a place where there have been riots. It's, it's, uh, it's a place that is populated primarily by African Americans. It's a place that's known for its poverty and for its crime. It's, it's a bad place. Well, I, I worked at, at the Y. It, it was a place that not many white Bible college students were even aware of uh, when I was there at that point in time. I worked at the Y with this guy named Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was a couple of years older than me. He was lots of fun. We built up this friendship. And, and one winter night, he didn't have a way home. And I said, Isaiah, do you want me to take you home? And he said, he said, would you do that? And I said, yeah. And so we left work. I took him out to my Delta 88 Oldsmobile. You know, cream color, big old luxury car that had been my grandpa's, handed down to my parents, handed down to me for college. And, uh, and so uh, we hop in the car with Isaiah. He's, he's riding. He's thinking this is the greatest thing ever. And he starts giving me directions. And we get deeper and deeper into over the Rhine. Isaiah says to me, uh, uh, as, we, as we come to his place, he said, you can park here. Um, but uh, you, uh, he, he actually said, he said, do you want to come in and see my place? It was kind of a crazy question. And, um, and I said, yeah, that'd be yeah, that would be good. And he said, well, you can't stay very long because your car's not going to be very safe here. And I said, okay. So we hop out of the car, run across the street, and, and um, this, this rundown building, uh, stairwell that there were holes in the roofs, in, in the roof. There was snow that had drifted in through the cracks in the walls, that kind of stuff. And Isaiah turned to me and he said, follow me. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, he said walk where I walk because if you don't, you're going to fall through the steps. I said, okay. So I'm, I'm following Isaiah up to the third floor uh, to his door. When we get to his door, he said, he, he just kind of apologized. He said, uh, he said I'm, I'm really sorry. He said, I only have two locks on my door. Most of the other doors had more locks than that. He said, that, that's all I have right now, but we'll be okay. So we walk into his apartment. I walk into his kitchen and living room and bedroom because it was all the same room. And Isaiah flips on the lights and cockroaches run across the floor and across the table that he, that he uses to eat on. I look around and, and the curtains that Isaiah has in his window are, are um, torn sheets that are hanging up. There are posters that cover the, the cracked plaster on the walls. It was a place I had never been before. It was my first cross-cultural mission trip that night going into a place that I had never even dreamt of. You know, when I think about that night, there were two things that, that really come to mind. One, one was this. I had to follow Isaiah up those steps because I, Isaiah knew the right path, the safe path to get where I was going and to get out. Isaiah, if I, as long as I followed Isaiah, I was in safe hands. That, that was an incredibly interesting concept for me in the city of Cincinnati, not very far from where I worked. The second thing that I, that, I, that I realized that night is following Jesus means that Jesus will take you places that you wouldn't go otherwise. He'll lead you into situations and environments that are radically different than your comfort zone. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Wherever he leads, 
He knows the path. Jesus knows where the danger lies because he's been there before. Following Jesus might involve geography, going someplace new, but it may mean something even more difficult. Following Jesus to forgive someone who has wounded you. Following him to serve or following him to sacrifice or following him to someone described by Jesus as one of the least of these. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus, who's committed to the mission of Jesus. You know, you can't follow someone without being changed by them. You can't come to my house and hang out with my wife, Deb, and my son, Micah, and not be changed by that, not begin to, you can't follow me around and not begin to care about those people that I care about. You can't follow me around and not begin to grieve just a little bit when Ohio State loses a big game. You you can't do it. Because who you follow, who you follow changes you, right? You can't, when you begin to follow someone, you care about the same things that they care, care about. And let me just take a detour here for a second and talk to parents. Um, parents recognize that that is true. Whoever you follow, you begin to care about the same things that, that they care about. So if your kids are involved in sports or clubs, pay attention to the person that's leading them. Because who they follow around, they will begin to be changed by and become like. And it may be better, it may be better to not have your kids involved in athletics or band or whatever if the person who leads them is changing them away from Jesus. Can't follow Jesus on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic and not be changed by that experience, not have your heart hurt when a hurricane comes. I had a game when I was a kid called a vacuum form. Does that look familiar to anybody? You have to be really old. It, it was an incredible game. Um, when, I, when I was looking for this picture, I found out that it, it, was, it was first made in 1965. A vacuum form worked like this. It plugged in the wall, had electricity, and it had a little slot that you would put an image in. You, you would put uh, an item like a, a, a Hot Wheels car or something like that, and it, you'd put a piece of plastic in it, and you'd shut the lid to, to, to that, and you set a timer. And when the timer went off, that piece of plastic was soft and hot, and then you had a crank on the edge of the vacuum form that you'd push down and it would suck all of the air out of what's inside there, and that piece of plastic would assume the shape of whatever it was that you had put in there, whether it was a quarter or a car or, you know, whatever it was. It was an incredibly cool, cool thing. Um, When we talk about being changed by Jesus, we may not have the mental image of a vacuum form in our minds, but it's easy for us to think about that when we give our lives to Jesus, he... He takes our piece of plastic and hooks it to him, sucks the life, the old life out of us, and creates this image that's imprinted with Jesus in our lives, and that's how we live the rest of our life. We do it one time, it's done, everything's over, um, and, and, um, and we live the rest of our life with this stamp of Jesus on us. I don't think a vacuum form is really the right toy to describe how we're changed by Jesus. I, actually, I think Plato's. A, a better image. You know, when you first get Plato, 
This was great first service because this was brand new. When you first get Play-Doh, it's all pure, right? It's this big glob, and it's cool because you can do all kinds of stuff with it. You know, you, you can make things with it. You can squish it, do all kinds of stuff. But after time, Play-Doh begins to look not like that, but like this, right? This kind of ugly color. That, now, if you look in here really closely, there's some red in there and a little bit of blue, a little bit of yellow. But over time, the Play-Doh has been worked over so much, it's been torn apart, put back together, and it's just kind of become this blob of stuff. Jesus wants to take our lives like Play-Doh and begin to shape them and change them and to make them into something incredibly good and cool. When you put Play-Doh in the hands of an artist, the material can be shaped and formed, pushed and prodded into something incredibly beautiful. A disciple is someone who is changed by Jesus, not into a cookie-cutter, static piece of plastic, but into a masterpiece shaped and molded by the supreme artist. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus, who's committed to the mission of Jesus. When you truly follow Jesus, when you walk in his steps, you're going to be changed by him. You can't, you can't truly follow him and stay the same. And when you follow Jesus, you can't help but be committed to his mission. You can't follow without being invested in the mission of Jesus. Jesus didn't call his disciples so that for the next three and a half years, they could just simply stand on the sidelines and watch him do everything. They could watch him heal. They could watch him teach. They could watch him interact with people. Jesus brought them along so that he could send out the 12 to live out his mission, so that he could send out the 70 to live out his mission. So that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he could sit out at the 120 and, and say, here is the mission that you've been given. Go live that out. And they were invested in the mission. Jesus empowered them so that they could accomplish the mission. If you're not invested in the mission of Jesus, you're not a disciple of his. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus, transformed by him shaped and molded, who's committed to the mission of Jesus. What exactly was the mission of Jesus? Jesus said in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's Jesus' mission. As he's ready to ascend into heaven, Matthew 28 says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. What was the mission of Jesus? It was to redeem the world. It was to put the world back in order the way that God had designed it from the beginning of time. At North Point, our mission is to help all people move to a life fully devoted to Jesus. In short, our mission is to help everyone here become a disciple. Our vision 
that we've talked about for the last year, to impact 50,000 people in five years with the grace of Jesus. Do you know what that's about? It's about being engaged in the mission of Jesus. When you read the biographies of Jesus, the, the books written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus engaged in mission in all kinds of ways. Jesus taught and he healed. He fed hungry people. He reached across, across cultural and ethnic barriers. He built relationships with people from every socioeconomic background and segment of society. He befriended people who were living for their own pleasure and people who were pursuing truth, people who were religious but misguided, and people who didn't have any sense of religion at all, at least by the Jewish standards. The mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost, to make disciples, took place in every corner of society, in every context imaginable. Imagine what it would be like to have DeWitt, and St. John's, and Langsburg, and Lansing, and Grand Ledge, Clinton County, Shiawassee County, Ingham County, filled with people who were disciples of Jesus. That Jesus was changing. They were following him. People who were engaged in the mission of Jesus, extending grace to people who are far from him. As a church, there are, some, there are some big opportunities in the next year that are going to happen to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Our staff is going to help create some things that you need to know about that, are going to be, that, that I hope everybody can be a part of. We're going to have an opportunity to make a trip to Ecuador to visit the church that we planted and to, and to actually see the children that we support. That's an incredible opportunity. In, um, on Valentine's Day weekend, we're going to have a chance as a church to partner with another church and to provide a prom for uh, people with, with uh, disabilities, with developmental disabilities. I call it a night to shine. It's going to be the coolest thing ever. In the spring, we're going to have an opportunity to, to help prepare 20,000 meals for people in our area uh, who are hungry, who don't have the resources that they need to feed uh, their families. Uh, those are big things, and I get really excited about them. But you know what I get really, really jazzed about? It's when I hear stories about somebody who goes to the shooting range and loads ammunition for disabled veterans because that's a way that they can extend the grace of Jesus to somebody who's hurting. I get excited about somebody who makes the decision because of how God has taken care of them to open their home and allow people to come and live with them because they don't have a place to stay. I get excited about, uh, uh, about people who make a decision to sacrifice a significant part of their income so that they can help provide someone who can work uh, in a home for, for uh, disabled children in the Dominican because they know that if they can provide the salary for that, six more kids can get care that aren't getting care currently. I, I don't know what you're involved in, where God has you placed, what God has on your heart, but understanding that extending the grace of Jesus in that place, in that location, in your world, is what this is all about. That's the mission of Jesus. 
God has you in place specifically so that you can do his work in your world right where you are. That's what it means to be a disciple. You know, there's a a question that gets asked a lot in a lot of contexts. The question's question's kind of a funny one. The question's this. Are, are Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? I'm guessing for most people who are here today, you'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. There are lots of people who believe that they're a Christian because they live in the United States. A lot of people who believe that they're Christians because their parents were Christians. A lot of people who think that that they're a Christian because they come to church on Sunday. A lot of people who think that because they believe in God, they believe in heaven, and they've got a Bible someplace in their house, that they're a Christian. Don't miss this. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not a disciple. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not a disciple. Fully devoted followers of Jesus in the first century were called the disciples of Jesus long before they were ever called Christians. It was several years later that that Scripture tells us the disciples were first called Christians in the city of Antioch. Because the term Christian has become so watered down, the question is not whether or not you call yourself a Christian. The question is whether or not you're a disciple of Jesus. Are you following Jesus wherever he leads? Are you saying yes no matter what? Yes to that hard conversation. Yes to that opportunity to serve. Yes to that person in need. Yes to walking away from that bad relationship. Yes to dying to self. Are you being changed and transformed by Jesus? Are you allowing God to do surgery on your heart and your schedule and your bank account? Or have you become satisfied with your level of religion? Are you being Play-Doh in Jesus' hands? Or have you accepted that whisper in your ear from Satan that says, oh, you know what, it's okay to be a vacuum form, to be conformed to Jesus one time and then not worry about it anymore? Are you different than you were a few weeks or months or years ago? Are you changed by Jesus? Are you committed to the mission of Jesus? Are you living out the grace of Jesus every day right where you are? Are you reaching out to the hurting and hopeless? Are are you allowing God to use you to help other people fall in love with Jesus and also become disciples? If the answer to all those questions is no, or you're not sure about your answers, but you want the answer to be yes, you, you do want to be a disciple of Jesus, I'd love to talk to you. But I know that I can't do that with everyone. So I, I want to make it easy this morning. If you're an elder here at North Point or a life group leader or coach, or if your relationship with Jesus is such that you would love to tell someone about that relationship and you would love to help introduce them to Jesus, would you stand up right now? If you're wrestling with that question, look at these people and find them after the service. Find them sometime this week. And and say, talk to me about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You guys can go ahead and sit. Because being a disciple of Jesus is not about knowledge. 
it's not about wearing the name Christian. It's not about doing lots of good things. It's about following Jesus, about being changed by Jesus, about being engaged, committed to the mission of Jesus. My prayer is that we as a church would be filled with disciples of Jesus, with people trying to figure out what it means to live for him, to be in relationship with him 24-7. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have an opportunity, that you give us opportunities each day to follow you, to be changed by you, and to be engaged in your mission here on earth. God, I, I, I pray that you would make us that church that people would say, man, that's a place with people who are following Jesus, who are, who, who are experiencing life change all over the place and who are living that out as they interact with other people. God, we can't do it on our own. It's easy for us to choose the vacuform thing and not the Play-Doh. We commit ourselves to you this morning, God, to be Plato. That you shape, that you mold, that you change. So that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.